Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of DevOps Decrypted. Um, I'm your host, Romy Greenfield, and today joining me, we have some new guests as well as uh, some similar faces. So um, we have Rasmus, we have Michael, Timothy, and Daniel. Do you all want to take it in turns to introduce yourself? Michael, if you want to go first. Yeah, so I'm Michael. I'm a co-founder and CTO of a company based out of New York City called Plural.sh. And what we do primarily is making it very easy for people to deploy um, a large variety of open source software onto Kubernetes into their own cloud environments. So we've spent a lot of time playing around with Kubernetes and all three of the big three clouds have a fair amount of um, knowledge to share there and um, hopefully can contribute to the conversation. Awesome, thank you. Uh, Timothy, do you wanna go next? Hi, Timothy here. Um, current top title is a, a team lead or platform team lead at Venue DevOps, uh, which is part of uh, Adaptivist Group. So we are building a developer experience platform here in uh, Venue DevOps. So, yeah. Thank you, welcome. <laughs> and Daniel. Yeah, so yeah, I'm Dan. I'm an engineering manager for an infrastructure team that works inside business services. You could say we're like a platform team, um, but generally we do a bit of everything. Awesome. Thanks for joining us today. Um, so today I think we're going to talk a little bit about um, Kubernetes and it actually being quite hard. <laughs> uh, does anyone want to kick off the conversation? Sure. So uh, I can chip in since I, I, I threw the topic out there because nowadays I think we're past the point where people have recognized that, oh, wait, yeah, Kubernetes is actually still hard, just using it raw and looking at the gigantic, you know, cloud native computing foundation map of, you know, hundreds of different things you can do with Kubernetes. It's gotten pretty crazy. It seems kind of like it hasn't really gotten easier to use it yet. There have been a lot of attempts to do different like layers at top of Kubernetes to make it easier. So what have we done? What have others done? What are we even trying to do? What are you trying to orchestrate? Are you trying to just do better workflow management or workload management? Are you trying to make the developer experience easier? There's so much to go on. With, uh, with Adaptives, we've tried a bunch of different things, which is why I invited uh, Dan, AKA Chalky here on the call to sort of just Give us a little intro on, hey, what have we done with internally at Adaptivist over time? We've done um, quite a few things. We haven't actually got anything that I'd say looks like a platform yet. Is is one thing I'd be honest about. I think we've, I've seen over the years, we've all seen people go across this digital transformation journey. I'm doing air quotes here. Um, that takes years and then nothing's delivered because actually it's hard to deliver a platform for people. And that's what Kubernetes is, but it's not a platform. It's a framework, really, as far as I'm concerned. It gives you the foundations to build build some things, you know. And, and actually, the most important part of the journey isn't actually Kubernetes. It's actually about what is what is the thinnest viable platform for your organization. And actually, that answer, that question is different depending on the size of your business, how many business units you have, you know, what, what does good look like. That, that, that answer will change depending on who you ask. And so part of our earlier journey was... Um, was product pods it was actually it's adaptive equivalent to plural you know you could look at it that way it is a service catalog you can run a turnkey application on it it's just that the turnkey applications are purely atlassian focused um you know we want to run things like like jira dc and those sorts of things um on there 
and and, and, and so that's the that Yes, and still is. Sure. And still is. And, and plural might actually be a suitable like replacement for it because the one of the problems of rancher is um end users are scared of it <laughs> uh, somewhat. So it gives you got this nice little service catalogue, it's really cool, but actually it's a bit of a power user tool when you go into go into it. Like there's a lot of knobs and dials to change and stuff. And yeah, like and some of these people are these are last thing, they're not developers, they're not they're not SREs, they're not DevOpsy people, they're just consultants, they know how to manage Jira and they just see all these all these options and they don't know what to do. They just have to follow some some guide and hope for the best. And it's really still just a, a UI for Kubernetes, much like you would see like a nice dashboard on yeah. on underneath it's just a chart. You know, it's just a it's just a it's just a um a rancher flavor of, of a helm chart, you know. And and ultimately you can abstract that any way you wanted to. It's just that for the sake of getting something done quickly, we picked Rancher. Also because it did cover some other use cases, by the way. So things like um like SAML, like SSO, that kind of stuff. It answered some of those things out of the box. So it was like the path of least resistance was to pick that tool. Um for this, but the sacrifice was the user experience. Um and over time we'll correct that. And and again, this goes back to the finished bubble platform. Like what's the correct thing at this point in time? And in the future, mm-hmm. you just you know, you keep iterating. Yep. And I do also remember that we did start a backstage at Adaptivist as well. But much like you said, Kubernetes is a platform, but it's really kind of like a framework to build a platform. Backstage is almost like yeah, it's an IDP, but it's almost more like a framework for building an IDP. You really have to dress it up yourself a lot eventually it will be a framework is how I'd answer that. It's, you know, it's still in that phase of not being in an internal project a company anymore. And so it's having to change its shape to accommodate the fact the community runs it now. Um, yeah. So it doesn't have things like a, um, a robust plugin system. You know, it's still got some of the, um, the technical debt of it being internal where you just, you know, you just change some boilerplate and things happen. It's, you know, it's, it's not, it's not bad. It's just an evolution of it being open sourced. Um, you know, and eventually that those things will become mature. Um, so until then, it's not. I wouldn't necessarily even call it a um, a framework. Not yet. It's not in the right shape to be a framework, but it's still a powerful tool, right? You still get some good stuff out of the box. It's it's it, they are weirdly similar in a sense. Kubernetes also came out of you know Google and became open sourced and adapted and adopted and, and worked on and so on. Even though you might still have a hard time asking somebody, hey, what does Kubernetes do? Well, it could do anything. It could it could do anything <laughs> if you if you so wish it to, or have the have the intelligence to do it yourself. You know, it's uh, under uh, it's in simplest terms, it's an orchestrator, right? It doesn't even necessarily have to be containers if you know what you're doing. <laughs> we talk about crossplane, a perfect example of that, right? We're, we it's not containers we're orchestrating now. It's we've just given it a different DSL to run into infrastructure. Yeah. Real quick on that, then internally we have we have been playing with something that you call Kubera that also uses crossplane and so on. Can you tell us a little bit about how that works and what does it do? Yeah, so Kubera is, so it's more of a code name internally for what, for the question is, what does a, uh, Kubernetes look like at Adaptivist and its numerous business units? So it's more of a discovery for us. Again, talking vid, like, you know, vid, uh, minimum viable uh, platform. And so for that, it's, it, we're, we're kind of eating our own dog food because we, we, we write our own services and stuff and we need to run them somewhere. And everyone's got a slightly different, you know, approach to doing it and actually teams in adaptivist we, we have the same problem right we have different business units teams they've made their own platforms because there hasn't one that pre-exists and so we're just trying to work out like what's the finished fiber one that we could give people options and and we want to start with the developer experience that's about feedback so it's not about giving them a production environment 
it's not about um, uh, telling everyone they need to move to this feedback. Can we improve their feedback cycles? Can they get feedback faster as part of the development lifecycle? And it's those sort of things we care about more. So that's where we started off looking at things like Argo CD. We've uh, we've uh, started looking at remote developer environments. So how quickly we can get them the environment set up and running. Um, and, we, and we look at things like telepresence and such as well, so they can actually run a container, get feedback from it, but it's still integrating with you know, adjacent services and stuff. Um, but simply, yeah, Kubera is actually just about us doing that discovery and working out what that fin finished bubble platform is. But we also know that there is some baseline knowledge that we have to acquire in, in, in the team first before we can even go, go out further and look at all these other add-ons, services and products. All right. And that's getting me excited to talk about a plural. But let me get through one little quick thing first. I know Plural does some of those things, but you also had worked with Crossplane. And I know Tim has been working with Crossplane because we're working on you know the whole venue thing together. What are our thoughts on Crossplane? I mean, how, how are you using it correctly? How does that orchestrate Kubernetes? <laughs> well, honestly, I, I don't even know what correct using it correctly looks like yet, is, is my first answer. I know what using Terraform correctly looks like. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe I'll, I'll work backwards from that. Um, so. The first thing we did when we installed Crossplane was seeing the numerous amount of CRDs that they just drag the control plane to, not to a halt, but might as well be. Um, and so what we did is we went, okay, let's just focus on the one CRD we care about, and that is the Terraform module. Because we've got loads of modules we already use, and if we can just provide a suitable abstraction for that, I think we'd be happy. We're, we're cooking on gas, um, rather than re-implementing the same thing, but under a different DSL. You know, and and that was the and that was our also our way of controlling the the load on the cross plane. Be, sorry, on the control plane because that control plane only has one CRD now, or or that's the one CRD we care about. We don't care about all the others because we'll let Terraform do the rest for us. Um, and that's kind of how we've managed it for now. But we've not, but um, but we've not had any real big gotchas really. Other than that, it's just us learning to read the manual half the time actually, than understanding the product. But we've not used it in anger enough to have any of the painful lessons yet. Um, the, only, the only nice thing about sticking to the Terraform module um, provider for it is it means I, I can use my current domain knowledge to at least triage the problem. Um, because my because then that knowledge goes back to the module to Terraform, not to say, you know, the Kubernetes or, or Crossplane itself. I've, I've shifted the problem. Essentially, I've managed the, the, the cognitive load of the complexity on the team by choosing something that could, could be seen as lesser but it's again like right choice at the right point of time, and then we might change our minds as as, as we go forward. So that that brings me to sort of the next step of crossplane and Terraform. Do you use them together? Do, can you use just one or the other? I know Plural just uses Terraform, but we also use are trying to use crossplane for venue. Tim, what what are your thoughts on on the whole setup? Um, so yeah, just like Daniel uh, Chalky has mentioned that. Uh, Crossplane does have different providers for, uh, for example, for AWS, different of the clouds, and even for Terraform. So I've used, I've tried to use Crossplane for uh, with the Terraform provider. And one thing to that I learned my lesson from that is to make sure that the Terraforms uh, that you pass into uh, into Crossplane are is is a manageable size Terraform. Right, in a sense that uh, don't throw in a Terraform that runs for like 20, 30 minutes, uh, because cross you won't get much output from uh, from the Terraform provider in Crossplane. So uh, that's one of the main things that I learned from that. Otherwise, is again, it's just re-implementing Terraform in another 
uh, in another wrapper, just like, <laughs> yeah. So that brings up a thought because this is really technical and awesome and all that, but pretend for a moment I'm a dumb user because I am. If I'm looking at Kubernetes and Terraform and Crossplane and all these things, ultimately I want to like host things on there. So what are we actually trying to do by introducing Crossplane instead of or in addition to Terraform? Terraform is about multi-cloud. Crossplane is about multi-cluster. What are we talking about here, really? Um, so the, the Terraform thing is just to manage our cognitive load. You know, there's other things we're trying to learn, and we're trying to not put too much weight on the on the control plate. That's why we've opted to use Terraform in that way. To the end user, there should be a suitable enough abstraction that they they don't they, not that they don't care, but they should care less or worry about it less. So uh, I don't know. Think of uh, using something like Cube Villa, and now you're introducing like annotations to to decorate your charts, and and all that person's now saying is, "I want a database." You know, actually, what what actually is getting pulled in is is, is hidden from them, essentially, or or, or mm-hmm. to a degree hidden from them. I think what the user wants is a nice and friendly user experience, right? Yeah. What they want is a is a site that shows up, uh, which is friendly, good has good UX and good UI, and shows them the infrastructure that they want to build. Correct. So Crossplane does facilitate the backs the back side of that. Right, it abstracts for for the developers that develop the platform. It helps us abstract those information and only capture the information that they need. Or, which is, for example, oh, you want a database? Okay, do you want a Postgres or MySQL or uh, MS SQL? Right, and that's it. So, yeah, I think that's what the user wants, and uh, Crossplane does help to do that in the backend, but. There still needs to be something for the user to use. It almost sounds like there should be a front end, like something like Plural, that <laughs> makes it all nice and neat. Maybe we should talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, so I'll I'll speak to Crossplane specifically and then go into what we're doing. So we have used Crossplane at Plural a few times. And the, the, the issue you mentioned about it jamming up the control plane, we hit pretty quickly. Um, and I don't know like how deep you guys dug into it, but it's it's basically, a, it's a bug in Kubernetes itself that gets triggered. So when you add a CRD to a control plane, there's a process in, in the Kubernetes control plane that, that basically reconstructs the entire open API specification for the Kubernetes control plane on each CRD load. And that's actually an extremely, extremely heavy process. And then on the other side, when the Kubernetes client runs any, when it, it like the Go client specifically runs any, um, API call. It'll do a it'll do a discovery call against that open API spec to do some like basic pattern matching in case you don't provide the fully specified like API. Um, and so if you put in a few hundred CRTs like Crossplane does, that 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 API discovery transfer that the client does it becomes extremely slow, and it'll do things like make all the operators that are running in your cluster effectively unoperable or it'll make it very difficult for you to use kubectl and it'll time out all the time and cause all sorts of annoying problems if you just if you just install like everything and, and cross plane at once um 
eventually Kubernetes will fix that, but it just hasn't happened from from whatever we can see. And in Plural's case, a lot of what we do is we'll deploy a lot of different applications all in the same cluster for efficiency. And so if you deploy cross-plane alongside other applications that need operators and provision CRDs, it will it will really degrade the cluster pretty quickly. So that was um one of the more like annoying things that we saw with it and we sort of stopped using it as a result um but there there are other solutions that do stuff for cross planes specific to certain clouds so like google has config connector there's other crd cloud resource provisioners out there um that can reduce the crd scope and like keep your cluster from blowing up basically if it's, is it sort of plausible then that if, if you have like a completely dedicated cluster just so you can use kind of like cross planes as yeah. cross cloud operators and just you'll, do you'll mitigate the problem significantly or if you mm -hmm. just use a single cloud provider for crossplane and don't install like three um it'll also mitigate the problem because it'll be le less less um it, you'll create less crds basically um there's just like a, some number of crds at which your control plane will probably start having a lot of trouble so it's basically it's kind of like a cluster of clusters <laughs> yeah yeah where the crd the CR crossplane is in so yeah yeah, I think, I think the technology that people typically have with crossplane is they'll have like a dedicated crossplane management cluster. It might manage other clusters, or it might just create resources and stuff like that. Um, there's some other like interesting things you could talk about, like the user feedback dynamic around it, because if you're using crossplane to to provision resources, you're kind of hoping that your user is familiar enough, at least with kubectl to be able to understand what's going on with the with the cross-plane resource because they're gonna have to like look at the CRD's status field to know if it was created successfully or it wasn't created successfully and all of that. And so it, and what we frequently found is people just are not comfortable with kubectl at all, but they can sort of understand how to use the Terraform DSL. So what you guys are doing where you're just using cross-plane as effectively a way to execute Terraform makes a lot of sense from a user experience standpoint to me because I think it's probably easier to actually teach people or at least find people who already know Terraform than it would be currently to, to get them to understand how the reconciliation of a cross-plane CRD is happening and, and how to debug that if, if they had misconfigured it in some way. Um, but uh, they, that was another thing. And, and like in the worst case, if for whatever reason, something is really weird, you end up having to actually go into the server logs for the cross-plane operator to like understand what's going on, which is which, which is a pretty unusual experience. And a lot of users will have some trouble with it. Um, that said, like if you wanted to create a front end for provisioning resources, cross-plane is probably amazing for that because you do have like wonderful little YAML objects that you can make API calls against and provision resources. Whereas, you know, it's basically impossible with Terraform. You just, you can't just dynamically generate Terraform code easily. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it was beginning to sound like cross-plane is like Rancher, just without the UI. <laughs> yeah, that's basically its current <laughs> status. Um, I don't know if Upbound, which is the company that's trying to commercialize it, has created a decent UI. They actually might have. That probably is what they're primarily selling. So it might be worth like looking into that if, if you're interested in using cross-plane. So how does Plural add the UI around all this and, and make it user-friendly for users that actually want a thing? Yeah, so Plural is an interesting, it's a, it's a different solution to the same problem. So what, what we're, we're trying to do is we're trying to make it really easy for people to take an off-the-shelf software like Airflow, Airbyte, um, Dagster, oftentimes our data software, but there's also things like Grafana, um, Grafana Mimir for, for metric storage and deploy it into their own cloud. So you have an AWS account, you know you want an Airflow instance in it, or you know you want a Grafana instance in it. We want to make make it as easy for you to get from 
that point A to point B. Um, and what we have is we have a catalog of, of those open source applications that have been packaged for each of the clouds. And the packaging ultimately resolves to Helm charts and Terraform modules and a dependency tree amongst them. So if you wanted to um, deploy Airflow, it's going to have a, a, an Airflow Helm chart and Airflow Terraform module. But then within it, there's going to need to be a dependency on a Postgres operator to provision as Postgres database, a dependency on the core Kubernetes runtime. That's things like external DNS, cert manager, ingress controllers, stuff like that. Um, and then Terraform ultimately actually provision the cluster from zero to one. So you can't run any of this without a Kubernetes cluster in the first place. Um, and our command line tooling actually will generate a full Git repo for you that with those resources loaded into them. So um, you'll run Plural init, create a Git repository as part of the process. Plural build will generate all the Helm and Terraform for you. And Plural deploy will understand the dependency ordering of everything and then just execute it one by one to provision that that um that resource that was kind of one of the, the the things i found more impressive was just the onboarding especially considering and i want to highlight this because you kind of briefly mentioned it but you can use plural across different clouds almost like seamlessly yeah like if you set up on google well okay here here are the apps you can use and they have i guess this little like thin mm -hmm. adapter for google or aws or azure and it just works yeah, which brings me back to how Chalky was saying that. Well, I mean, we did this thing in Rancher, but it almost kind of sounds like Plural would be cool for yeah. some of these additional bits and pieces. There's also some other things. So um, we're giving you the ability to deploy Airflow, but we don't want to have as part of the trade-off you having to manage Kubernetes as a result of that. So, like, if the problem you're trying to solve is I don't know how to to stand up and, and deploy Airflow, you probably can't also solve the problem of I don't know how to stand up and deploy Kubernetes. Um, so we we make a few key decisions on that. So one is we always use managed control planes because we don't want people to have the operational burden of understanding how to troubleshoot things like et cetera D. Um, and then we also have made a very good feature featureful um, UI for ad, for um, cluster administration that's that's somewhat geared towards beginners but in reality i haven't found any kubernetes use case that i couldn't solve with it um and it'll have things like interactive run books to be able to um resize resources like databases within the cluster at, at, at appropriately um it has uh like it it'll actually uh accept and apply upgrades for all the applications for you over the air um, you can configure, you can add or remove users from OpenID Connect providers for the applications in that UI. Um, and you can visualize cost information. Basically, everything is a full like DevOps control plane for those applications we've vendored for you as highly configurable as well. So we can we can tweak it in various different ways using CRDs to um, uh, like improve the operational experience. But the goal is sort of like you said, Rasmus, where like you really don't have to understand anything about Kubernetes at all. You just have to know that you want um, Airflow or Airbyte or any open source application or theoretically the Atlassian products um, and click a few buttons and run a few commands. And ultimately, you actually have it deployed in your cloud if you have the permissions to, to, to actually provision those resources. Cool. So yeah, that does seem like it lines up with what we've been using Rancher for internally, which is sort of like spinning up well-known applications in environments for use by you know individuals and so on yeah and that's kind of like that was our use case internally because we needed demo environments for consultants to play with and, and do things and actually do work on the applications yeah but that's also the challenge of developing applications in the first place 
Yeah. So that gets into another interesting area of, okay, you have Kubernetes, maybe now you have it orchestrated to a point, then what? Because mm -hmm. it's like, there's some degree of, we need some apps. Yeah. All IT enterprises of different flavors need apps, but a lot of them are also developing their own things. Yeah. So that's where things like Backstage try to do like developer side things, but how do they meet in the middle? Like, are you trying to reach a point where you can also do like your own like homebrew stable of developed yeah. applications and deploy them, manage them across like environment tiers, like dev, QA, production, that, that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. So the way we sort of like segment this is there's like two categories of applications. We can call one category third party or vendor software. Open source is in that flavor, but like the Alaskan products or another. So software that's actually de developed by an organization that's not within your own purview and you're bringing that software in-house in to run. And then there's first-party applications, things that you would actually be developing and, and building for yourself or your own business. Um, and that's that's actually the next thing that we're putting on, a, on our plate. We ultimately want it to be as easy an experience as possible to run anything you want on Kubernetes anywhere. That's kind of like going to be our overarching mission going forward. And being able to solve for first-party would be the, the, the final step of that. Um, and I think there's a few interesting things that I've seen pain points around here. So one obvious pain point is a lot of people just straight up do not know how to provision a Kubernetes cluster properly and understand its, its credential chain. So like it's actually non-trivially hard to, to create a Kubernetes cluster in Terraform. We've done it many times now, and there are lots of foot guns. Um, so we're actually investing effort into using cluster API properly. Um, because we think that's a better way of managing the, the lifecycle of Kubernetes long-term. Um, and the real big thing that happens is maybe you get the cluster up, but then the process of upgrading the cluster is just an incredible nightmare. And so we think that the upgrade flow within within cluster API and its constant reconciliation process is going to be a lot smoother than doing it with a lot of standard infrastructure as code. Um, another big pain point we've seen is they're, they're, the tool chain around authoring Kubernetes manifests is just not actually that great. Like Helm is cool, we use it, but if I were developing my own applications, I would prefer not to, honestly. Um, so we're um, we're investing into like doing a really good job with uh, CDK8s, which is a it's, it's a cool project that allows you to author um, Kubernetes resources in standard programming languages. JavaScript and TypeScript are the primary one. And that's a pretty good plastic language to do that sort of thing. Um, but it also has support for Go and Java and some other languages as well. Um, so we we think having a good Kubernetes manifest authoring experience is a key part, portion to this. Um, and then the other thing is actually being able to seamlessly deploy um, the applications is still a little bit tricky for people, especially because they don't know how to provision Kubernetes in the first place, and they don't know how to manage this credential chain and all of that. Um, so uh, the last thing would be building a proper deployment engine that allows you to take CDK resources from a Git repository anywhere and have a good staged pipeline deploy system from like dev to staging to production with like approval chains or integration tests in between and all of that. Um, but we think like if you get all of those together and have them seamlessly interoperable, um, you have created what hopefully would be a pretty good um, developer environment around Kubernetes. And so that's what we're, we're going to be focusing on. Cool. 
All right. Oh, you got no disagreements from me regarding Helm. <laughs> I've actually been looking at CD Cates as well for similar reasons. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and the same for Terraform and, and uh, CloudFormation as well. Like their CDK equivalents are actually quite quite useful for you to avoid having loads of boilerplate or very yeah. odd ternary operations in, in in code. You just don't want. You just if you you know if you don't want that resource to exist, just omit it, please. Like it, yeah. When generally it has to be there, and you have to you then have to resort to hacks to hide it. Yeah, Helm is like is unavoidable now because it's gotten so big and so prevalent. So there's going to be just like Helm charts you're going to want to use. And fortunately, CDK is is compatible with it. You can inject a, C- a Helm chart into CDK. Um, but there's like two things that we see that I've personally seen having written a ton of Helm charts now. The template language kind of sucks. The Ghost template language is just very clunky and weird, and you can't do a lot of things you would ideally want. I've done. I've used other template languages before that were a lot better. Ghost is just not in the, not in that league. And the other big thing that bugs me is it's not. There's basically no good story for unit testing it. So ideally, I want the Kubernetes standard manifest I'd be writing to have a unit test associated with it that can run in CI when you have a pull request against it and validate that at least it looks sort of kind of good before <laughs> before sending it into a cluster. Um, and that's a really tricky flow to actually do well with Helm. Um, and I think it'd be very easy to do if you had something like ter- like uh, sorry, like JavaScript for your authoring language, because you could just use a standard JavaScript unit test framework. Or similarly with Go, you could just use Go's unit test framework. Um, so you could have a, a better like CI flow on the front end of your Kubernetes uh, development, and then you could have you know, your integration tests later down the pipeline. Um, but it would it just like ties together a better um, lifecycle around all of it. That does sound like another missing piece of the orchestration, because I think like pre-Kubernetes, we were almost getting to the point of like doing better automated testing and really putting testing first and all those kind of things. Yeah. Then <laughs> Kubernetes, have fun. <laughs> I don't know if it was easier. Um, so, and the reason I say that is testing infrastructure is hard, right? Yeah. It's, it's really, really hard, nigh on impossible. Like often the, the best endeavors you can do are actually compliance tests, at least you know, ensuring that if you do deploy something in it and it work and it works, it's not insecure. You know, yeah. it's and like I speak speaking specifically from a Terraform front or even a cloud formation one. And actually with Kubernetes, we it's just shifted complexity on the most part. All you're trying to do is at least have try and ensure some guarantees that it's gonna deploy um, mm. rather than integrating. Um, if you see what I mean. Because normally, generally when we deploy these things, we are we're bundling modules together that creates an end-to-end solution. Like no one writes one Terraform module for their for their stack. It's a collection of 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 of, of state files, and you're wiring them together to, to to make something useful. And Kubernetes is largely the same, right? Or even even down to the add-ons. That that's another thing you're going to deploy. It's got to be configured correctly for the next thing you want to jump on there to deploy. So I I, I don't necessarily see it as a solved problem. Um, I don't think because actually everyone's flavor of Kubernetes is different, and therefore tests will have to be different as well. Um, like you couldn't make an industry standard. Here's a testing framework you couldn't employ, and it's going to work for everybody. Just like you can't take someone else's Helm chart and it just works on your cluster because you've configured it differently. Um, yeah. So it's always going to be an ongoing problem. It's just the quality of the tools and making them, you know, having them enable you is actually the important bit. And that's going back to the CDKs being important there. We actually have a, you know, you've got mature tools to actually do it with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued now because again, as a well-known dumb user, about the best I've done is get into Helm and like, wow, this is complex and run into some of those templating issues. But well, what if I want this environment to like look a little bit differently? And for a while I got into like customize 
and Helm running in different phases and all the kind of stuff. And it's just like, this just feels like it's getting worse. So yeah. whatever CDK is, save me. I think like it, it, no matter what, you're ultimately going to have to be managing like a couple dozen plus objects and the creation of them to use uh, to like deploy a pretty significant service on Kubernetes is going to involve like probably a few deployments, a fair number of config maps some services, some ingresses. Um, but if you the, the ideal is, you know, creating a development flow around those objects that you can have fast feedback on whether you're you're screwing yourself up basically <laughs> so like some testing is it's the best i can think of um and then and then also just like the the go templating language is just like not fit for purpose so like if, if i were if i were able to choose i would i would choose not to use it we, we use helm specifically within plural because it is just the industry standard tool and so we don't want to inject like we want what we give people to deploy an airflow cluster to be something that is as close to what they likely already know as possible. And it's also nice that it can I can just call it directly using the Helm SDK from our Go code. Um, but for like a proper end-to-end -end Kubernetes development experience, I would use something else. And CDKs looks like the best solution at the moment. Um, and there's a similar play. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Pulumi, but Pulumi has a similar like <laughs> alternative to Terraform for standard cloud resources. So Pulumi, you can write the the stacks of Pulumi in JavaScript or Go or all sorts of different standard programming languages. And it has a lot of advantages. So like for one thing, you can loop in it. You can you can have proper branching. You know, there's like so much stuff that you can't really do well in Terraform um, that you can do in Pulumi and it would just, just work because it's an actual programming language. And another thing I, I want to ask them, but have you talked a little bit about just like deploying applications off the shelf? and potential like developing and how do you do your own Kubernetes and so on. Mm -hmm. If you're in a large enterprise and you have bunches of different teams and so on, who kind of does what? Like, do we need to get into this newfangled platform engineering? And is that like one team that takes care of all the hard stuff and then developers yeah. can kind of like, hey, it's a candy store. I will have some of that and some of that and some of these. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question. So like I've seen this done in different ways. I've worked at like Amazon previously, Twitter previously, and a lot of different companies. And they they have like there have been like two different ways that I've seen the division responsibilities flow. Like there's a lot of places that will have consolidated platform teams, um, and then and then there's some places where like operations is a part of the standard like uh, software development engineers' job responsibility. Amazon was actually the latter, so every engineer at Amazon had the expectation that they would do some degree of ops. And then places like Twitter or Facebook have been more in this and, and actually Google as well, more in the veins of like a centralized platform team. Um, I think if Kubernetes is done well, you should be able to have a very self-serviceable experience around provisioning new Kubernetes clusters and then creating development uh, deployment pipelines into those clusters in a way that is quite reproducible. Um, and that's hopefully what we would be able to build. Um, but that would move people more towards, I think, the Amazon model, which I thought was actually really, really good. Because, um, like, it, like realistically, the the knowledge of how an application is going to break is probably much more close to the developer of the application's head than a centralized team's head. Um, but if your infrastructure is just too unwieldy for various reasons, you can't actually do that. Like, it's it, you you need someone who specializes in just like keeping the lights on. Um, 
But if you have like the ability for an individual team or an individual business unit to create a cluster for themselves, that cluster is going to be conformant based on various um, various things, like maybe you put in your security scanning and all of that by default. Um, and then they can just slap in their their infrastructure, their Kubernetes resources defined in a consistent way. Um, I feel like you could sort of reduce the need for that degree of like specialization around just keeping the lights on and managing the platform. Um, but we're, we're still definitely in the early phases and there's, there's, it's, it's ultimately kind of like a, I don't know, like a, the team's preference on how they decide to organize things. So it's like not actually a true right answer, um, from what I've seen. Fair enough. I think we've also been, been going a little bit back and forth ourselves and like trying to think of new products and ideas and so on, like Kubernetes orchestration. Is it like a Venn diagram when you have the Kubernetes orchestration circle, but then there's also some other stuff that's more like developer experience? Like how much do they overlap? Is there actually a sharp point where one ends and the other begins? It's, Kubernetes is hard. <laughs> it's very complicated, yeah. And, but it's, it's like a, it's a palette. It's like a white space. There's tons of things you can do with it. And you just have to like create the appropriate guide rails for your organization to use it appropriate, like use it in an effective way. Um, from what I've seen and, and some places do it really well. Lots of places don't, I don't It's hard to say, but I, I think all places have got to start with not doing it very well. I think that's, <laughs> that's, that, that's actually the best place to start because at least you've started, um, is, is probably how I put it. And I think that's probably where we are as well as, as, a, as not that we're doing it wrong necessarily, but we're doing it the most right way. We know how we can, mm -hmm. if you see what I mean. And then, you know, you yeah. just got to keep it training, you know, get, get the feedback and then, and then just keep adjusting and, yeah. and actually making, making the platform available for people to change as well so i don't necessarily mean like you have you know, everyone you know the, the doors are open people could just change anything they like but i think that you shouldn't ever stop the, the customers internally from being able to like open you know open a merge request to go actually like uh thinking of cross plane example i've got a terraform module i would actually like to expose could you could you wrap it for me or or could i just add it to a registry somewhere yeah. um, you, you, you enable people to contribute towards it uh, because if you if you leave it up to a normal like a, a silo team or a platform team you know you, you, your customers will overwhelm you pretty quickly if they're not contributing yeah yeah and, and that team oftentimes gets very quickly overwhelmed by like all the demands upon them so they just they, they become a bottleneck and shed work and it effect it, it becomes inefficient as well yeah you it, would like to make it to you would like to make the user experience like i go back to user experience right you would like to make it where they can bring their own they can bring their own templates they can bring their own helm if it's helm their own crds and integrate it into the platform that they're building relatively easily and then for the general masses to use it so yeah it, I think we Rasmus' favorite word is eating your what on dog food, right? So yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. I want us to go further with you know Kubera and backstage and all these things and just kind of figure out what does it mean to us, and is it meaningful enough to where we can think of a way of of building products because we have you know as adaptivists, we've had so many clients over the years that are you know using usually some large Atlassian suite, but a lot of them are also using all kinds of, you know, DevOps tooling and things. And can we somehow distill something that we have figured out is doing well and put it into platforms somebody else can use? Yeah. That's, that's where I, I find it interesting to think about, you know, platforms like Plural and Backstage and others in trying to spot 
where are there areas that are still not really being being served sufficiently by different actors? So that's where my interest comes in. It's kind of like I'm seeing I'm seeing Plural move into more like the first party developer stuff, and that's cool. That's great. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing backstage like growing up a little bit and thinking about who uses backstage? Is it like only developers or would something like a PM? Or some sort of team lead ever be welcomed in there? Would they have something they could figure out and look at? Mm-hmm. Would they ever want to see something like plural? Who is where? Is sort of my yeah. my big question at times, but I'm not sure there's a clear answer on that quite yet. With that in mind, I have one other question that I'm just curious about. Kubernetes is great and all. It's also hard. We've ascertained that thought. What about you know and enterprises that do things? other than just Kubernetes, like serverless. Is there room for serverless in a platform that we might be able to think of with adaptivist or a plural? There has to be room for it. locked into <laughs> Kubernetes? There's, there has to be, there's a lot of love for Lambda internally adaptivist. Like it, uh, the problem is there is actually anything like it either. And what I mean, what, what I mean by that, there is obviously a, like other products that do serverless, but the, the developer experience that they've got is it's pretty solid and and it's well known and they enjoy it and to try and take i wouldn't want to take that away from developers you know i wouldn't want to say oh by the way you can't use this anymore um and actually it what's nice is they it's nice and atomic right they've got this one little repo they've got this small bit of code they're making a change and that one changes live and all the all the operational things they have to worry about half of them are gone right because that's what the whole point of using that sort of stuff is and and those are systems that still have limits, and then you still want to come and bring it back in house. Um, and actually, for some of our products, that's that's actually the case. Like we do actually monitor that and go, actually, we now need to make this some you know, running this in a container or even on EC2 might actually be a better option. But you still have to make room for the server stuff because it it enables people to prototype really really quickly, um, and they don't have to. And it enables small teams that aren't as cross functional as they would like to be to be able to run something and not necessarily care about what they're running it on. Um, you know, they can just focus on literally the function itself, um, and they get a lot. And they get everything else for free. You know, even even like scaling as mm-hmm. the first thing you can look at, right? You, you don't even have to think about it; it just happens. Okay, you introduce things like cold starts and stuff, but you know that's a very small part of the learning experience. And once you've got it, you, you're pretty good. Um, and, and and that is, you know, that is the wonderful thing about serverless is that level of simplicity. And I don't know if this says more about the industry or me just being a crazy nerd who finds all the challenges and things, but I feel like I've seen more out there how to use Kubernetes to enable serverless, like essentially your own Lambda replacement, why you would ever do that is kind of like, I don't know, then I've seen actual platforms and things that really aim to support serverless and make it easy, which it may already be sufficiently easy if you're just looking at Lambda on AWS. But would you ever see something like that in a thing like backstage? It's like you want to do serverless, click this button, put some stuff in a Git repo. You probably will eventually. Um, you probably you, you can now. Um, it's just whether you're you want to make that jump. And so what I mean by it, again is you're already trusting Lambda. Um, you it already responds really really quickly. You're relying on the at that point, you're, you're relying on AWS, you're relying on Amazon at that point, right? And the second you start doing it on, on Kubernetes, you're now relying on your, your one of your ops teams to mm-hmm. do that. Can they scale as quickly and can they do it as well? So it's a trust exercise to some degree and a maturity one. Um, but it is doable. Um, 
the case for it would be if your business cares about being multi-cloud or not, I think would be the bigger one. I mean, if you've already, if your company has already gone, you know, we've, we've drunk the Kool-Aid, we're, we're with this provider, you might not want to. Obviously, <laughs> we're having a chat about Kubernetes and I'm saying not to, but, you know, right tool, right job kind of thing. Um, I've, I, yeah, I think there's that there, like, there might be high level decisions to why you'd not want to do that. And there's obviously other reasons why you'd want to as well. Like you want to be right with cloud. So if I write this function once, and as long as I've got a cluster, it'll work, right? Or as long as I've got a cluster that's provisioned a certain way, it, it'll work. When you know, if you if you're writing like, if you're writing a function for AWS or it's only running AWS, um, you know, you'd have to uh, you'd you'd have to change it to run as run elsewhere, and that that that's the main benefit. I I'm reluctant to say I don't think it would scale like AWS Lambda, because of course you probably could get it to. It's the endeavor that you're going to have to go through to make it do that. Um, that I think is quite a steep, um, not so steep, that, I think an expensive commitment is probably how right. I'd put it. So that's that brings me to an interesting conundrum. Kubernetes is hard, but everybody's trying to do it. Serverless is kind of supposed to be easy, but I don't see it gaining that much traction or adoption, even having been out so long. So if Kubernetes is hard and everybody is trying to do it, but they're not kind of bad at it, and serverless is easy, and some people are trying to do it, but it just isn't taking on, what's going on here? Are our problems as developers just like fundamentally so difficult that we can't figure the the you know magic silver bullet that just does it right? Are we just gluttons for punishments? We use service a lot at a previous company, and there's some interesting things that come out of it. So the um, the lack of infrastructure is one of the benefits. The other real benefit is it effectively gives you scale to zero trivially. So if you have very bursty work, it's perfect. You actually save a ton of money. Um, and we had uh, like a service that would... It, it, the, the company was Frame.io, which is a... Um, a video collaboration SaaS platform, but we would we had a service that that ran Lambda functions at on, on CloudFront Lambda at Edge that would resize videos on the fly and just put them straight into CloudFront. Like it's like the perfect use case for serverless. Um, the problem is one, it gets really expensive. Like if you actually have consistent work going on, because you're effectively allowing Amazon to tax you per function invocation instead of like the amount of CPU that you're using consistently. So if you have something that uses a lot of functions, but it doesn't really use a lot of actual compute resources, they're gonna just drain you. Um, and the other weird thing is the developer experience actually can be kind of weird. So um, you really can't run a Lambda function without putting it into Amazon, for instance, whereas with the, the Kubernetes development flow, you can always just run things in Docker Compose and that's gonna be effectively equivalent to it running in Kubernetes. Like that's not entirely true, of course, but it's, it's true enough. So like what we found is our developers were much more productive and just a standard box standard Docker based workflow than the serverless workflow, because like for them to actually get the full like serverless experience, they would have to be toggling between like 10 or so different serverless functions that all orchestrate with each other, but they don't actually really work locally. So you had to deploy it into the cloud, but then you have to go through <laughs> approvals to deploy into the cloud. And it's just like, a, it became a real pain in the butt. Um, so I think if you like have like that perfect use case for it, it's 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 really really cool. Another thing is like AWS has like serverless uh, Aurora databases now. So if you have like a dev database, you can make it serverless. It'll scale scale to zero on off hours when you have no developers up and actually using dev. Um, but um, there's a lot of use cases where it's still not exactly fit for purpose. And then like the Kubernetes serverless 
experiments, like if there's Knative out there, I think there are probably a few others. They are pretty good, so they can solve the cost problem, obviously, because it's just going to be running in your Kubernetes cluster. But then you have the problem of it not necessarily giving you scale to zero because it's got to still have the Kubernetes cluster underneath it. So you kind of have like a $200 minimum to run the, the serverless on that individual Kubernetes cluster. And that might actually kind of be more expensive than you were expecting to run that run that service. So like they, they, the gap is just still like a little bit awkward. Um, but if you had a very large cluster and you could throw Knative on it, you for sure could probably outperform on a cost perspective, uh, Lambda function or Google Cloud Run or any of the other competitors. It almost feels like these cloud providers just want to make money off or something. <laughs> well, our businesses. So I was saying about scaling. Your your point was much more clear. Like you you can scale to zero. That's the that's the point. You you don't have resources just sitting there costing you money when they're not actually being utilized. Uh, yeah, but if they are being utilized heavily, you're you're just spending extra money essentially. A lot of extra money, and, and you aren't necessarily getting a better development workflow out, out of it as well. Which is kind of like if the development workflow is just utterly beautiful, then maybe you spend that money and you save you you claw it back with like having less engineers. Um, but that's not actually true. At least it wasn't true at the time when we were using serverless. Maybe it's gotten a lot better. Um, but the, the the stuff that's like we've seen be really really cool is the edge serverless stuff like like lambda at edge i think cloudfront has workers now which is effectively a serverless offering as well so that there's a lot of compute that you can do in the edge um like resizing images or, or video and stuff like that um that can then be quickly cached and there's probably a lot of play for how to use serverless in those in those in those capacities those would be good in front of a kubernetes cluster as well to be fair yeah you know yeah. use the conjunction rather than yeah we, we, we're almost having a conversation as if one's better than the other but actually they're yeah. very complimentary they both work <laughs> together yeah i think i think i'm gonna go with kubernetes is hard and so is development but there's a lot of cool you know toys and tools out there for us to play with and maybe that's enough to keep your career interesting and exciting yep and with that i think we're uh about ready to wrap up so uh thank you so much for coming all of you uh michael tim chalky i hope to talk to you all again soon thank all you right. very much for having us thanks for having us having me as well catch you later Paige. thanks for joining us to discuss uh kubernetes and lots of other interesting tools today um this has been devops decrypted which is a podcast on the adaptivist live network um please contact us on social media to let us know uh, how you're finding the show and thanks for joining us thanks everybody bye